levels of approval can get in the way of brands being able to move fast Mm -hmm. to take advantage of these cultural opportunities. And frankly, it's a huge missed opportunity. The sooner that businesses embrace trusting their social media experts, the better off you're going to be. Sarah Bujaya is the VP of Marketing at Later, a social media management tool. Since 2012, Sarah has helped businesses build a digital marketing strategy, and now she uses her skills to lead the marketing department at Later. Get ready to hear her tips and best practices on how to build out your digital strategy. Coming up, you'll hear about the surprising start to Sarah's marketing career why we decided to partner with Later and their exciting product features that are coming soon, how to incorporate AI into your marketing strategy, and finally, why done is better than perfect. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Sarah, I am so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. I cannot wait to hear all about your incredible background and career journey and story. And you are now leading marketing at one of my favorite platforms and tools that we have used at Socialfly and now at Entreprenista for our marketing needs. So I can't wait to hear all about it. How did you start your career and end up at Later? Can you share more about your career journey? This is a loaded question. Tell me all the details. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. So I think I, I had the fortune of knowing at least what realm I wanted to end up in fairly early in my life. And I had the encouragement, I think, you know, a lot from my parents and and my older sister too, to start to think about those things when I was younger and perhaps when I still had a job as a camp counselor, but I was very much encouraged to think about, okay, so what are some of your interests and what do you want to do? And so going into university, I took media information and technology. And so I was pretty clear around where some of my interests already lied. And I had some experience working at a kid's magazine and I had kind of picked up these things as I went along. And I worked at Warner Brothers in the publicity and advertising department. And so I started there. I, you know, was an intern and a coordinator and I did things like get coffee and things that you have nothing to do with marketing but at the time, it was also a bit more normal that some of those things were in my roles and responsibilities. And I was paid. So that was cool. That was very cool. I needed that at the time. Yes, important. <laughs> and, you know, I got like real knee deep into public relations at first and admittedly realized it's a very thankless gig. And I wasn't super in like as fun as it was to do junkets and be around celebrities for those sorts of things, like some real high profile stuff, which was really fun and amazing when you're 19, 20, 21. I knew that it was just not something like I wanted to dedicate my life to. So I kind of pivoted out of that, but I always stayed in the realm of marketing and advertising and I got a job at an agency and I was a media buyer and I was a media buyer at the time when the concept of like 
paid search and and paid social was blowing up. And Mm -hmm. so there's like a mix of like kind of being there at the right time at the right place that I'm here to ride this wave and figure this out as you go along, because suddenly you had these jobs popping up that it didn't matter how many years of experience you had because it simply didn't exist. You couldn't have had any experience. And so suddenly there wasn't that much of a difference between me and someone that had five years of work experience which I'm like incredibly grateful for in some ways, but it was either, either you wanted to get real knee deep and learn this stuff and figure it out really quickly, or you were going to fall behind if you thought that it was only a fad or that it was going or it wasn't going anywhere. And well, we've all learned that, well, it's dramatically changed the world since then. So I kind of got into that. What year was it that you started at that agency? 2009, 2010, something around there. Super early. So it's, that's right around when Courtney and I first started Socialfly. It's like very early days of, yeah. of social media and having to convince people back then that this is not a fad, like this is here to stay. So Oh yeah. And like the, the, when I was at Warner Brothers, I set up the Warner Brothers Canada Twitter account. I'm sure. Yeah. And the Facebook page. And I was, I remember telling my boss, like I did this so that like, by the way, you need this. And it not being really a thing at the time, but just kind of seeing it for what it was worth and the importance. And and obviously that's just kind of exploded over time. And so just being there and kind of embracing that. I've always been someone like who's a huge fan and an early adopter of a lot of things. And so I don't really like waiting for the tipping point. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm right. Like, is Be Real necessarily going to be like the next Instagram? Probably not, but I'm on it. And I like to play with these things to, yeah. I think it's pretty important for my job and and my career and my role to like know what's going on in, in these areas. And I like to do that by getting into it firsthand. So I kind of went from there, like joining the agency, being a media buyer that was done very differently back in the day. Mm-hmm. And from there, I actually went in-house and worked on affiliate programs, display programs, social media, kind of whatever I could get my hands on, I did wherever I worked subsequently. It was really clear to me early on that the more I can figure out and the more I know how to do myself versus just knowing how to tell an agency what to do was going to future-proof me. It was going to give me a lot more opportunity and also make me a lot more valuable Mm -hmm. in the situations that I was in. Absolutely. So tell me where you went next after you went in-house. So honestly, one of my favorite experiences, and some folks are surprised to hear this, I joined Sears Canada, which rest in peace doesn't exist anymore. And I don't think Sears exists in the States either. I was super fortunate to work with such a gifted group of people. And I went there And unfortunately, you know, there was tumultuous times with the business, but the e-commerce area, which is where I lived, I lived in direct to consumer Mm -hmm. e-commerce and was on managed, you know, affiliates and display and, and other kind of paid programs for the site. I was really fortunate to be around like such intelligent people and a lot of retail people who went on to work in other places. And eventually I joined them in other places. But that said, like retail's not that different depending where you are. And so I was there and, you know, it was unfortunate because I was also there during what was, I think I, I witnessed six rounds of layoffs for what was once like the crown jewel of retail in Mm -hmm. this country and in the, like in, in North America, it was the largest retailer. 
And so it was unfortunate to witness such a demise that was going on. But what kind of came with that was because we weren't hiring roles as people would choose to leave. It also meant if you put your hand up and you wanted to do something, nobody was going to tell you no. Mm. And so I got a lot of experience and a lot of autonomy very early on in my career that I probably wouldn't have gotten had I been Mm. anywhere else. And so I'm very grateful for that. And I feel like I made the best of that opportunity while it was kind of nuts and kind of crazy things that were going on around me. I still had good people and I was supported to do what I wanted to do and, and learn as I went along. And so that was a really impactful experience in my career. And after that, I I joined Walmart e-commerce, which was the relaunching of the transactional website that exists today. Uh, Indigo Books and Music, which is Canada's largest bookseller. After that, I also joined Loblaw Digital, which Loblaw is actually the largest retailer in Canada between grocery stores, as well as a few other brands. So Loblaw, Joe Fresh, Shoppers Drug Mart, these are like Canadian staples. And so I was a part of the early days of the digital team when we had launched one store with online grocery And I think by the time I left, there were over 200 and probably now there's like thousands. Wow. And so it was really cool to be there early days, setting up the affiliate program from scratch, setting up the paid search programs from scratch because there had never been online properties for any of these businesses. So it was really cool to be in like this wild west. Again, I'm earlier in my career managing like five, 10, 15 million dollar budgets for household brands and in a place where admittedly there wasn't a ton of oversight. And I took that responsibility like super seriously and spent money effectively and wisely and got to work with amazing people to kind of grow what is now just such an amazing business under the leadership of someone who was my boss back in the day. And they've done such amazing things. So also a privilege to be a part of that. And then I kind of went into more startup world. I joined Chef's Plate, which was eventually acquired by uh, HelloFresh, which is, you know, a major meal kit company in in the world. Chef's Plate got acquired. That was cool, hectic food startups, tough business, tough game, but obviously a lot of relevant experience there. And then afterwards I went into, I joined what was a VC funded FinTech company, named Wave, who does online invoicing, accounting, payroll software, which also got acquired by H&R Block, no big deal, for half a billion dollars. Well, it sounds like you were doing something right over there at these companies. They were growing and getting acquired, so. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's tailwinds and headwinds and all these sorts of things. And so I give a lot of credit to the people who, who came before me in these situations where I benefited from things that were done before me. Uh, things that I did myself or had great people around me doing. And then also like how that benefited businesses once I had left. Mm-hmm. Right. So I spent, uh, you know, almost four years at wave uh, pre pre acquisition, post pre acquisition, during acquisition and post acquisition. And so, you know, major growth in that business going from like 30 million to upwards of a hundred million in that time frame. So very cool thing to be a part of. And then made the move to later. And so that's how I got here. And it's kind of been one step at a time. 
Tell me about making the move to later and how at different points in your career, did you know it was the right time to move on and go to the next company or opportunity? So I would say like earlier in my career, I was quite ambitious and decisive about some of the the changes that I, when I would make a change uh, and make a move, I would say like at times was very impatient and being impatient coupled with being ambitious, coupled with the work I would put in, in and out of work to be better at what I did, to really like zero in on my craft, stay up to date with what's going on and learn things that weren't always part of my, like the most obvious things that were a part of my job. I really put that on myself because I saw that as the fastest way to grow. And I was really keen because I was always from a, from a place of, I think that I can make a meaningful contribution and I just want to be given the opportunity to do that. Mm. And I think with some maturity that came as I might've chosen an experience that, oh, wow, I really like threw myself into the deep end there. Like (laughs) that might've been harder. Like I might've made my life harder than I really needed it to be and probably could have stuck around somewhere a little bit longer. At the end of the day, like I wouldn't change any of it and I learned a lot but was there room for me to maybe exhibit just a touch more patience? Sure. Uh, but I think that I was always conscious of when I would like being very conscious about like, what am I getting out of the opportunity? Am I able to make an impact? Is this a healthy environment that I want to stick around for? And I think most importantly, and I say this to the folks on my teams over the year, I think it's really important to be loyal to people it's more difficult to be loyal to a business because it's not a living thing. Mm-hmm. I personally think that people got to have to do what's best for themselves. And that's the way I approached these different opportunities. It wasn't personal or anything like that. It was, what do I feel like is is going to serve me based on, on what I need and what I want to do. And most of the time it was a good move. I made a few missteps, of course, and I learned along the way. But uh, I think that it's just really important to be honest with yourself. There's a lot of energy and time that goes into finding a new job, taking a job, even if you're recruited, which in many cases happened for me. Starting a new job is like a, a major change and, and takes a lot of energy. And sometimes that you just got to like figure out if that's what you want. Is it worth it to you? And and go from there. And so I was always really conscious of that. And as I've like grown in my career and also as I've gotten older, I've also like decoupled my identity more and more from work. And so in recognizing, and I think it comes with the territory that a job is just a job, the concept of a dream job, I don't really think exists, but I think it really is about like matching a job to suit what you need at that point in your life Mm -hmm. and making the best of it. And it, it doesn't mean that it's a perfect situation, but it's, it's really about making sure you're doing right by the people you work with, doing right by the business you're serving and being honest and doing right by yourself. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. What made you want to join the team at Later? I was quite thoughtful in my decision-making at the time. I really enjoyed being at Wave and I worked with some awesome people there. We admittedly like lots of changes over the years though, but that's what happens. Businesses go in cycles. And for me, in going through the process with Later, understanding the brand and then meeting some members of the team, it was very clear to me Later is full of incredible human beings who are extremely talented and gifted at what they do and deeply, deeply care. 
And so to me, that was a real draw. I think the business itself, like the idea of like joining a healthy business that isn't like a growth at all costs kind of endeavor. I think like, especially at the time when I took the role, the writing was kind of on the wall in terms of like what was imminent to happen in our world and our economy and has since shaken out that it is really about like being in a sustainable, more predictable business. And and those businesses are going to get rewarded. I think tech for too long has been the growth at all costs. And unfortunately, or fortunately, like the days of cheap money are gone for the time being. And so I was really thoughtful about that as well. And really about like who I would work with. Do Would I be set up, would I be working with really smart people on interesting problems? And is there an openness to doing things differently? And so later met the mark on all of those fronts. And I definitely don't have any buyer's remorse. It's been super fun ever since. That's amazing. Well, I have so many marketing questions for you now. A lot of our entrepreneurs were so excited we were going to have this conversation. Many of them use later, and a lot of them are looking for marketing tools, scheduling platforms. So they had shared a few questions ahead of this interview. So one of the questions was, what is on the roadmap for later's development? And are there plans to have more in-depth analytics? Would love to hear what you're working on. Yeah. So there's always about a thousand things going on later. I think there's a few things I'll speak to analytics. I think in terms of like what we already offer and what we hope to offer, we're always working on making our product suite better. We want to make it more relevant. We want to make it more useful. We want to make it more robust. And so I think that all kind of comes with the territory. The other piece is we've all heard about AI at like total exhaustion (laughs) I think it's fair to say it's not going anywhere. We're still in the Wild West era, which is personally my favorite era of any eras that like I love when the laws haven't caught up, the rules haven't caught up, Google hasn't caught up. It's free for all. (laughs) It's a free for all and everything is fair game right now. And we know that that eventually ends, but now is the time to make the best of it. And so that's just like my early adopter mentality of like, let's play, you know? But with AI, I think that there's a lot of opportunity and we've already incorporated it with our AI caption writer feature Mm -hmm. and more to come around how AI can help our users better plan their content as well as schedule. So really being thoughtful about that, I think later's kind of claim to fame for a long time is we obviously have a lot of data and can help our users make more informed decisions about the best time to post. Mm -hmm. And we have like a very robust blog article on that and it's a great resource, but also it's available. There's it's more detailed in our product. And so being a user gives access to those sorts of things and using AI to make that better is also on deck. And so we'll kind of see how things evolve, but, uh, you know, we want to be that kind of best in class platform. And so that never really ends, especially as the social media platforms also come up with new formats And so finding parity and making sure that we're giving our user value to use us versus posting natively. And there's a lot that we offer that makes it kind of stronger than a nice that you can do it all in one place. That actually leads me to my next question from one of the members of our community who wanted to know, are users, you know, penalized in reach on these platforms for not posting natively and using a platform like later? Oh, goodness, no. I guess that is a myth that exists and absolutely not. 
There's no penalization. I think, you know, some of these, the algorithms, there's some of them are black boxes. It depends. It's different for everybody. And some folks might infer that certain things are causing issues with why or why not their content mm-hmm. might be seen. But whether or not you post natively or you post through a scheduler, it should not impact. That is the least of all factors that would impact whether or not uh, you're getting the visibility you expect. Thank you for clearing up that myth because people have definitely asked that question before. So when it popped up in our Entrepreneurs League community platform, I was said, I know the right person to ask it to. So glad we're having this conversation. (laughs) You mentioned before, Sarah, you said there you have a thousand things going on at later. And obviously being in this social media space, there's new things that pop up every single day. How do you go about the process of deciding what the heck do you actually focus on? Yeah, that's a great question. Do you want to tell me the answer to that? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the answer. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> so there's a couple of things. I think like I'd separate out like there's product development, which is, you know, heavy on our engineers and our product team. And then there's also like from a marketing standpoint, there's a lot of things that we can do, a lot of things we can talk about. And something that I think like all teams and especially the bigger you get, the more, the the easier it is to say yes to a lot of different things. And so there is like a huge element of ruthless prioritization, buzzword prioritization. We all say it, we all know we got to do it, but we have a really hard time actually following through on that. I think as humans, we're really tempted to try to do everything, especially if you suffer from any degree of perfectionism. It can be hard to just like know what's the 80 for the 20, what's done better than perfect Mm -hmm. and what's our approach to that. And I think it's, there's a degree of like creating a level of understanding that's consistent across people and teams. So that means the same things to different people. Done is better than perfect. Perfect means different things to different people. And so I like to really start by level setting on definitions and expectations in the first place. I find that when you get clear on that, then you can start to make sure that like people's perceptions of these things are actually the same because often they're not. And that's, you actually run into roadblocks before you've even started. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of step one. I think the other piece is there's a lot of handy frameworks around prioritization. It depends what the needs of the businesses are. So obviously like weighing short-term versus long-term and finding a balance of those things. Um, In some cases, we have to err more on the side of short-term and focus on that. And so it is really looking at like, what's the business impact? How tangible is it? What does ROI potentially look like? And and asking all of these questions and setting like targets around these things Mm -hmm. up front and kind of reverse engineering back from that. So in terms of like the team at later is, That's the expectation, you know, is that we're coming to the table. It doesn't mean that we can't do certain things. And we know that certain things are also not going to easily as fall in that framework. And we have to make space for that as well. Mm -hmm. But being really, really intentional about what we're trying to accomplish as a business and then prioritizing from there, being very clear about what we are doing, as clear as what we are not doing Mm -hmm. and what the opportunity cost is of not doing something Mm -hmm. so that it's like, laid out crystal clear. We don't get asked a year from now, why didn't you do this? It's like, no, no, we actually intentionally chose to not do this, to do this. Was it a worthwhile bet? Yes, no, maybe. And it's just, I just look at it as a series of bets that we have to place. Yep. No, I I love that framework. I'm, I'm so glad you shared that. 
Up next, how to incorporate affiliate marketing into your business. You also mentioned earlier, and I wanted to, I didn't want to interrupt your whole career flow, but I knew I had to come back to this. You are managing tens of million dollars in affiliate marketing spend. I would love to hear more about your background in affiliate and advice you can share, especially for, you know, our audience, you know, most of our members, of course, own businesses and they're trying to figure out how do I set up an affiliate program or platform? Do I work with, you know, customers? Do I set up separate platforms? What advice can you share about getting started with affiliates for, for startups? I think it depends on the type of business. So if it's direct to consumer and it's like e-commerce in nature, that's one thing versus if it's like SaaS or tech, that's another. I think traditionally speaking, affiliate marketing is like the oldest form of digital marketing. Like at Sears at the time when I was there, that was the largest affiliate program in the country. It made up for almost one quarter of on, all online sales went through the affiliate channels. And then also like working at the other businesses that I worked at, like setting up the affiliate program for Shoppers Drug Mart and also working on it at Indigo. Huge parts, like huge parts of the business. Now in like a more B2B context, I I just kind of set expectations. It's not quite the same, but there still is opportunity. I think there's a few things to consider is you want to automate as much as you can. There are platforms that exist that you can buy into without a huge, I guess, burden of, without a huge expense. So I'm a little bit less familiar with what some, with kind of how it's evolved more recently. And just in my time, it was also like share a sale was, was something in more recent years. Uh, CJ, which used to be called Commission Junction. So I'm dating myself. Rakuten Link Share, which I also don't think is called that anymore. So I, I'm just, I'm, I'm really dating myself. Rakuten still exists. Well, no, Rakuten is still Rakuten, but I mean, it's been, all these things have been called different things over time. And And so there's lots of things on the table, like lots of options. Impact is another one, really tech focused one that I liked. And then uh, what's another one is like for B2B, there's also partner stack, which was actually uh, started in Canada. And that's common in, in the B2B space. There's all these, basically, these are the intermediaries, right? Like these are the systems that can connect you with actual affiliate partners to help promote your product, depending what it is. And so I would say you you want to work with one. It makes it a lot easier. It's a lot easier to manage and it's very scalable. I think that it can be a slow start, but even tactics like creating incentives, creating like targets for your affiliates around like, if you exceed this target, you get this. Almost like creating a game out of it because I find affiliates can get real competitive real quick. You'll get better placements on certain sites if you are willing to kind of up the ante, so to speak. And so if you hit a revenue goal for an affiliate and you kind of create tiered thresholds, that can be a really great way to incentivize affiliates to get going. And especially early on in the program, you do kind of have to give a little bit more away and you can kind of taper that down with time or you can kind of pulse up and down. It just depends on on the approach. So for me, it's like it feels very, it's very, it can be very retail focused. Mm. You can pulse it with also like kind of those like hallmark holidays, depending what's going on in the market, creating more or less incentive, depending on sales. 
And then uh, also creating assets that are worthwhile and valuable that your partners can use. Don't like you want to make it as easy as possible for them to just sub something in so that they can talk about or, or share your brand. And so just doing the work up front will make it a lot easier. And also, I'd argue, like much more successful in the long run. Definitely. Is there a marketing campaign that you've worked on that you're most proud of? There's one that was by accident. <laughs> it was the day that a 360 campaign came out. I didn't know what the level of investment was for out of home. And what happened was there was like a whole 360 campaign. There were, Every channel was turned on. This was a big deal, big brand. And suddenly the branded search, like branded search, like we spent all our money in like two hours. And I was confused as to like how that happened when normally we would pace very differently. And I started to piece it together. I was like, oh, this actually went like all of this. And then I saw a streetcar go by and it had like a full wrap on it. I'm like, oh, okay. So there's a bunch of ads floating around that have a giant URL across them. And so to me, it was also like a really impactful experience because you start to realize some of the more traditional methods of advertising and the power of them, mm -hmm. right? Out of home, arguably very difficult to measure. Yes. Uh, there's always a proxy, I would argue. Uh, and you have to be very clear on what those are up front, not after the fact. Uh, and suddenly you saw everything translate into branded search volume because it was shot up like 600% in a day. Wow. And that's because you had like billboards, streetcar wraps and like subway station takeovers. And so it, it makes the case for how some of these things like work together and sure. not, aren't one or the other. I remember that was kind of by accident in the sense that we had so many things set up and it just like, it worked, it worked. We put a bunch of effort to have all the pieces in the right place and really go out with a strong campaign and it worked. And that was just really super cool to see because we could justify it. And we kind of had that, that data at our disposal to show like, okay, this is what happened today. And this is, these are the results. And it, it was quite obvious. The results spoke for themselves and that's my favorite. That's awesome. Since you've started at Later, are there different marketing strategies or campaigns that you've been testing or wanted to bring to the company that have been working well? Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of tying content, SEO and PR together. I think in some businesses and especially more traditional established businesses, those functions live in very different places. And I think that that's actually just a huge miss. Because they existed at different points in time, there isn't a lot of consideration for how these things are actually much more related. Like if they're concentric circles, they have much more in common than they don't have in common. And bigger businesses, especially, I find don't, it's a lot harder to drive that change if it's not coming kind of top down. Otherwise, it's kind of slow and steady. But at later, it's been great to kind of bring those areas much closer together and also help folks understand the power of bringing them together. I think SEO can be really scary and intimidating. A lot of people know what it is. They know that it's important, but they don't know much more than that. And so it, there is an element of education that's always required. Like bless the heart of any person who works in SEO and is like one or two people in a 10 plus person marketing team, because they probably feel like they're all constantly crawling up a hill. And so in some of the more like tech forward organizations, then you'll find that SEO is better understood and more at the forefront. But 
it can be a bit of a culture change, right? So bringing those together has been an, an important thing for me and joining later and uh, finding opportunities for folks to work more closely together. PR mentions and link building and SEO are actually the same thing. Mm -hmm. They're not that different. And so finding those opportunities where you don't duplicate work, you kind of make something once and you get to use it 10 times. That's the name of the game. And so that's been awesome and, and very rewarding to see how that's come to life. And again, like let the results speak for themselves. So that's been one that I urge people to really think about together. And I think also from like a future-proof perspective, I think it really benefits uh, the people on the team to learn about the intersections of those areas because when they walk into their next role or they grow in their current role, whatever that looks like, whether it's whether it's at later with me or it's or it's with somebody else somewhere else, doesn't matter to me. I think knowing those points of intersection and those opportunities just it only makes you so it just makes you more versatile and stronger and better at what you do because it can just go that much further, right? Versus only looking at things from a very specific lens. And that's the kind of thing that I really try to encourage the team to think about. How do you go about bringing the team together to really integrate more together, understand what everyone's doing, especially being a remote first company? Are there different things that you have uh, brought to the table and made happen? I give a lot of credit to the team because it's more on them than it is on me in that sense. It's like, you can have big group meetings, you can set all the invites, you can have all the Zoom calls, but it really is up to people in terms of like how they choose to show up mm -hmm. and, you know, what they choose to embrace. And so I can do my part in trying to help folks understand what the opportunity is, what's in it for them, what's in it for the business, mm -hmm. just as, you know, it goes both ways. And then I've been fortunate to just have like really amazing folks who are deeply curious and want to figure, like want to innovate, want to try new things and, you know, come ready to the table to talk about that. I think one of the main things is getting people to talk to each other in different teams. Seems simple enough, but sometimes doesn't happen. I think the other piece is having clear accountability for OKRs. And so we work on objectives and key mm -hmm. results. Getting really clear about who owns those OKRs and also making them a shared responsibility. There is no world where it's like, I can wash my hands of this. This is just that team. There's no way. Mm -hmm. And so in the past, I've seen where that doesn't that doesn't work well, right? Like an SEO team can't achieve goal. Like there's very few goals on the SEO side that you can achieve if you don't have your content team on board. Yeah. And there's very few things your content team can achieve if they don't have SEO support. And so making those much more infused and making it clear in terms of top-down ownership that like, sorry, this isn't like that person or that person. It's both of you. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important because that sets the stage and helps people understand, okay, we all have skin in the game. We're all responsible for numbers and results. You know, there's no world in a marketing team really where like you can do anything completely by yourself anyways. Yeah. So it's just making that clear from the get-go. Definitely. Everything is so integrated now. And if everyone's working in silos, things cannot get done efficiently or perform well. No, it's all in uh, the sum of parts, not the parts by themselves. Coming up, you'll hear about the power couple of marketing strategy.
Well, I would love to talk about social media. Obviously, it's both of our backgrounds and the business that that later is in. What trends are you seeing now with social media that seem to be performing really well for businesses? It depends on the business. I think uh, there's kind of like this resurgence of the static imagery that's kind of making its way back into Instagram. You're seeing like different versions of it on TikTok. I'm not even going to talk about TikTok as a trend. I think it's much more than a trend. It's institutionalized. Like it's here. Sure, there's concerns about what that's going to look like in the future, but I'm pretty confident that that's not going anywhere. It's an amazing platform. I remember having a debate with a colleague a couple years ago who suggested that TikTok wasn't the place to talk about accounting. I'd say that that didn't age well. Yes. <laughs> it really is a place for anything and it's the fastest growing search engine. So I would say like there's an opportunity to take advantage of the fact that it's a search engine, being cognizant of what people are looking for. And I'm sure TikTok will re- release more tools and features to help folks understand that so that they can create their content accordingly. But to start thinking about that, that like now this is where like you have a huge, you have an entire generation looking on TikTok for restaurant reviews, for things to do when traveling, for outfit inspiration. That's like number one. You know, Pinterest has its place for some of that. Google obviously has its stronghold on that. And then you have ChatGPT and AI playing its own fun role in all of this. Uh, but but TikTok is is definitely like an important consideration and businesses can have a lot of success there that I think can be organically a bit more difficult on other platforms. Video, I think kind of short form carousel type video is also the move at the moment. I think jumping on trends and obviously like certain kind of meme-like opportunities. I think probably the most recent one is obviously the Barbie one that blew Mm -hmm. up. The trailer gets launched. I have to say like, what brilliant marketing from the folks for the Barbie film. Right. Like exceptional. The fact that that turned into a meme that was used, like you just had so much free promotion. It's genius. It's yeah. actually genius. It was amazing. And, I, and did you see on your end at Later how many of the businesses that are using Later were posting those memes? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We did it too. Yeah. No, I saw it. I saw it on Instagram. Tell me, how do you handle that from a content perspective? So something is trending and now internally with your marketing team, how quickly are you all able to jump in, get on those trends right away? Is that a big priority? This might blow some people's minds. I personally don't approve everything that goes out. In fact, I don't see most things that go out on the social channels before they go out on the social channels. It's called, we have an incredible team and I trust them. And so the reason why I say that might blow some people's minds is that I know that levels of approval can get in the way of brands being able to move fast Mm -hmm. to take advantage of these cultural opportunities. And frankly, it's a huge missed opportunity. And I think the sooner that businesses embrace trusting their social media experts to do what you literally hired them to do, the better off you're going to be. And so I'm super fortunate of having like an extremely trustworthy, driven, ambitious, great group of humans who with something like the Barbie thing, you know, they're on social media all day and they also have to take care of their own health, like being on a, on that screen all day. That's a whole, that's another topic, but they, 
are dialed in, like their job is to be dialed into these things. And I try to pay attention. Um, I don't pretend that I'm going to catch something faster than they are. That's literally what they live and breathe. But I pay attention because I just like to know what's up. And probably within two to three hours, like the Barbie post was turned around, if not sooner. Mm -hmm. I think I had commented on another brand doing it. And the team was like, yeah, we're almost getting, we're getting ready to post. And so to me, that's what I call like a, you get the right people in the right place. You enable them with the autonomy that they need. You get like, and the creative freedom and you let them go. And that's what you see on the later Instagram page. That's what you see on TikTok. You kind of got to give space for that. And it's really where the levels of approval can get in the way of that. And uh, I see so many brands just like get kind of handcuffed to that. Mm -hmm. And I've worked for, I've worked in some of those, like in, in some places where you couldn't post something without like the CEO approving it. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that that has also evolved now over time, but it's not a fun place for a social media manager to be either if that's what like their constraints look like. Totally. Yes. And what you said, you get the right people in the right roles and you give them the autonomy to do what they were hired to do. Because had you posted that Barbie post like five days later, just would not have hit or performed well. Yes, it's over. Everyone be like, wait, why are they posting that now? Yeah, like the ship has sailed. And so the name of the game with social is, is timing. It's really being on top of timing. And so, and obviously, you know, as a scheduler too, right? Like we have a huge scheduling component at later we recognize that something like that, we may not schedule um, or we may schedule to post immediately because we just have a, we get used to our system. We keep everything tracked in the same place. And, and that's the power of later that it's all in one place. Uh, but even we make it easy to do that, right? Like you, the concept of scheduling doesn't mean it always has to be three days in advance. It could be 15 minutes from now. Sarah, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? As someone who has had full-time jobs working for other people and other organizations for pretty much the entirety of my career, it's something I think about deeply as I've like definitely had it in the back of my mind of like what that could look like for me personally. Um, I think that there's an element that we are all, we all are all and all can be entrepreneurs in our own right and entrepreneurs in our own right. It doesn't mean that it's today or tomorrow or that you suddenly look like someone who has half a million followers on Instagram and you've started seven businesses and you had three exits. It doesn't have to look like that, right? Uh, I think it means everything from having the agency to come to the table with new ideas and to drive them forward, to be the owner in the business without needing to be the owner, right? There's a certain freedom with that. And so I think it means being like driven, ambitious, and most importantly, being curious as that's probably my favorite. Nothing to me is more important than, than being curious. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that and sharing your journey and story and all of your marketing tips. And so excited to continue to follow everything that Leader is doing. We, of course, love using the platform and want to continue to share the platform with our entrepreneurista community as many of them are looking for social media marketing tools and scheduling tools and solutions. So for those that are interested in finding you, following you and Leader or checking out the 
platform, where should they head over to do so? To follow, to learn more about Later, later Later.com. We're Later Media on Instagram and TikTok, as well as I'm not as active on on Twitter these days, but you can follow me on LinkedIn, just just my first name and last name. And so if you want to learn anything more, uh, feel free. And yeah, I get a lot of DMs on LinkedIn, but I generally answer most of them. So unless you're trying to sell me something, then that's that's a tough go. I love LinkedIn. It's a great place to make genuine connections. So reach out for for real genuine connections. And we will be linking out to all of the links and handles you just shared in the show notes below and have a special leader offer for our Entreprenista members too. So definitely go head over to the show notes and check that out. Sarah, thank you again for joining me today and chatting. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead.